Hey, I want to I wanna take some time to uh, review just, just real quickly what we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's, it was the passage where, uh, you know, Jesus has this crowd of people following him, but then he says to this crowd, listen, if, if you're not willing to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, kids uh, for me, then don't even bother following me. If you're not willing to, to, to hate your own life, if you don't hate your own life in comparison to your love for me, then don't even get started. He goes, unless you're willing to go to the cross with me right now, unless you're willing to right now walk with me to the cross and be killed, he goes, then I don't want you to follow me. You cannot be my disciple. And it's a very harsh statement. It's a very direct statement saying, look, it's, it's all or nothing. And, and then he used the illustration. He goes, if you're not going to, he goes, you don't want to start a tower, build it halfway, and then quit. He goes, so let me tell you the cost ahead of time, because I don't want you quitting halfway. That if you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me to the end. And you've got to be willing to give up everything for me. And it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's, it's a passage that's very uh, dear to my heart because, okay, when I started ministry, one of my concerns, and possibly my greatest concern, wasn't necessarily for the people that are out in the world that just blatantly can't stand God, say they hate God or don't believe in God. One of my biggest concerns are people that go to church and thinking, how many people of the people that go to church really have made that type of commitment to Jesus Christ? I mean, really, how many people, given that situation, if Jesus says, look, are you willing to leave everything and go to the cross for me? How many people that attend church this morning? There's millions of people. I mean, what was that latest statistic? Like 80% of America claims to be Christian? What a joke. And, and probably a ton of those people are in churches, and some maybe even in this church. And the question is, is, man, have you really made that commitment that Jesus asked us to make? Yeah, and there was a lot of uh, response after that message saying, well, well, don't we just have to believe? I mean, isn't just believing, isn't that what saves you? Yes, absolutely. But the Bible distinguishes, makes a di difference between true belief and belief that has no works, belief that you can't see. And saying, the person who truly believes in me, there's going to be actions that, that follow in his life, his or her life. The good tree produces good fruit. And, and it says the person who says he believes, but his life doesn't show for it, you know, he says, faith without works is dead. He goes, can that type of faith save you? And then he uses the analogy in, in James chapter 2. He says, look, even the demons in hell believe that there's a God. So big deal if you come to church saying, I believe there's a God up there. I believe in Jesus because in James chapter 2 it says, look, even the demons in hell believe in that sense, in that intellectual sense. They know that God exists. In fact, they go a step further and they shudder. They shudder in fear of this God. The difference is that they had never made that commitment to follow this God. They never said, you know what, I would follow him. I will do, you know, surrender my will to his I believe in that sense. I believe in him. I trust him so much that I'll go his way trusting that wherever he leads me, that's going to be the best road for me to be on. It's believing that much. Have you made that commitment? Because what scares me is passages like Matthew 7, 21, when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not everyone that says, oh, yeah, 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 I called you Lord. It doesn't matter if you call him Lord. The question is, is do you treat him as Lord? Have you really made a decision to follow him as your Lord, as your master? How, how many of you, anyone here, uh, how many of you were, were Marines, were in the Marines? Anyone? 
How many? Okay, a couple. Two guys in this whole place. All right, okay. All right, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. No, it's an awesome thing because when I was in high school, I wanted to be a Marine. You know, you, you can't help but kind of want that. You know, as guys, you, you look, you see the commercials, you know, the few, the proud, the Marines, you're like, yeah. You know, and it just looks so cool, and I want to be a part. And I remember the recruiters coming to the high school and, and talking, you know, they were from all the different things, but, you know, you wanted to be a Marine. You know, I mean, not to back anything, but, but just because they, they had this requirement. But then I started looking into it, and I saw, okay, you got to give three years. And I thought, uh, three years, three years of my life just to surrender? And it's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Started questioning it. Then I'm looking at the commercials, and you see them running. And I thought, <laughs> I want to run every day. Oh, let's wake up and run, you know? I mean, I just started thinking, you know, I don't mind the push-ups, you know, but not that many, you know? And I, I started thinking about the food and, and, you know, my freedom and this and that. And, you know, so I, I still in my mind thought, I want to be a Marine, but I don't want to make that big of a commitment to it. And you know what? I didn't bother going to the recruiter and saying, hey, is there any, you know, like lesser plan? You know, is there like a one-year plan where I don't have to run so much and, you know, and eat better things? Um, because I knew they, they would just laugh at me and say, come on, you, we're the Marines. You don't just join on your terms. You can't come to us and say, well, this is what I want to do. This isn't what I want to do. You know, no, we own you. You see, in the same way, I, I think believers, we so often come to God and we want to come on our terms and say, God, okay, come on. I'll follow you, but give this up and this up and this up. Isn't there a lesser plan I mean, do you really mean I've got to be willing to sever relationships if it comes to that? Do you really mean that I've got to hate my own life and let go of everything I have? Isn't there a different plan for me? No, Jesus draws a line and says, are you in or not? This is it. I own you. I will purchase your life from you. I will purchase you from the pit of hell. I will save you from that. All of my sin on that, all on that cross, I'll pay for all of your sin. But I want you. I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me that wherever I lead you is going to be best for you. It's like signing your life over, not for three years, but for your life here on earth and saying, yeah, I'll follow you. And some of us have done that. And others have said, well, I love him, but not that much. Not to give everything up. And Jesus says, when you're ready, I want you. See, he says it's all or nothing, but having said that, I don't want you to think that God lays it out there and he doesn't care if you follow, because this very next passage is showing Jesus actually going after people, in a sense, recruiting them, wanting them to follow, but he explains to them the cost. And it's interesting, the group of people that Jesus goes to here in a in, in uh, Luke 15, because it says uh, Jesus, he now, now the tax collectors, the tax collectors, these were the people, you know, that were working with the Roman government, coming to tax the people and getting the money for the government. But they were crooked people because what they would do is they would tax beyond what they were asked to so they could bring it to themselves. So they're a very despised group of people. And he says, so the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Now, when he says the word sinners, we're all sinners, right? So what he's talking about here was this distinct group of people that the people had labeled as the worst of the sinners. It, it's, it's imagine this. Imagine Jesus standing here surrounded by prostitutes, drug addicts, thieves, 
rapists, murderers. And it says that they gathered around, and, and the tense of that verb seems to indicate that this was a regular occurrence. It wasn't like a one-time act. It, it seems like they, this is what happened. Jesus would gather these people around them, but it says they gathered around to hear him, which is very significant because a lot of people follow Jesus just to kind of watch his miracles or try to get some free bread or fish. You know, these guys, they came to hear him. And meanwhile, it says, he says, but... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so then picture these religious people in their, in their robes, all dressed up, all decked out, just going, look at him. Look at him hanging out with those prostitutes, those sinners, those tax collectors, those outcasts. He couldn't be of God. Because look at the people he hangs with. Look at the people he eats with. And these religious people are criticizing Jesus. You know, as you, as you picture that scene, let me ask, how, how often do you hang around people like that? How often do you hang around and eat with people who don't believe like you, don't live like you, are rebellious toward God? Because if we say that Jesus is our example and we are trying to become like Jesus, where did Jesus spend his time? He was out, he was amidst the people who, who, were, who were hurting, who were outcasts, who were deeply rooted in their sin, the people that the world labeled as the sinners, the real sinners. Jesus was with them. How often are you with them? There's a very sad statistic that's been around for years where it says that the average Christian in America, after becoming a believer within two years, they suddenly have no relationships, no friendships with unbelievers. That Christians learn to kind of segregate themselves and suddenly they just surround themselves with people who believe the same way they do and they, they're not out amidst the world making friends, developing relationships, sharing with people who don't believe the same way that they do. And yet that was Jesus' model. He didn't look at them as, as outcasts. He went to them. And they were the ones that listened. They were the ones who heard him. You guys remember, some of you remember, our old worship pastor, Jim Altizer. He was here for a few years. And, you know, Jim's, you got to love Jim. I mean, he was just one of these quirky, you know, guys that just, he had a way of saying things. But I remember one of his favorite statements was, he goes, you know, Christians are like manure. If you spread them around, you know, it cause things to grow. You keep them all in one place and it's going to stink. And... Uh, <laughs> I thought, wow, it's very profound, Jim. You know, but, uh, you know, just that whole thought of, you know, it's, it's true, though. I mean, we're called to be the, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, not to seclude ourselves and keep ourselves in one place. And if we're to follow the model of Jesus, we got to look at who he's with. And the religious people criticized him. You guys, let's never be a church that's like that, you know, that criticizes. I mean, if this last week you saw me in a bar, not drunk or anything, but you just saw me there hanging out with a bunch of people. Would you be disappointed in me or proud of me? You know, I, I mean, you know, oftentimes, you know, we just think, ooh, I saw him in that place, and he was with all these people who were unbelievers. You guys, that's where we're supposed to be, hanging out with them, not doing the same things they do, but being a light and teaching them. Jesus didn't run away from them. As a church, that's where we ought to be. 
Anyways, as these people are kind of going, ooh, look at Jesus, he's with bad people, Jesus responds to them, and he tells this parable. It's a a great, uh, we can learn so much from him, because Jesus tells them this parable in verse 3, and he says, suppose one of you guys, hey, hey, religious people, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep, and he loses one. one, one of them wanders away. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he tells his friends and neighbors, you know, calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know, he says, he's talking to these Pharisees. He goes, hey, hey, you guys, listen. If you had a hundred sheep and one wanders off, don't you wander off and try to find it? Don't you go after that thing? You go out in the woods, you're looking everywhere. I mean, you ever lost a dog? You know, and imagine if you lost your dog and, well, you still got, you know, your other one at home. You don't care. All you're concerned about, that one that's lost, and you go out, you look for it, and one of its days, and you finally, it, it shows up, and you find it in some alley somewhere. What do you do when you see that dog? You would just freak out. You would just grab that thing, you know, cuddle with it, you know, carry it home, and you start calling, I found it. I found my dog. Man, I was looking everywhere for it. Man, he, he says, and you know that joy when you find it? He goes, see, that's the way the angels in heaven rejoice. When I go after these people who are lost, who've walked away from God, and man, if one of them decides, you know what, yeah, I have lost my way. I want to go to the Father. I want to go. I want to live. I'm willing to give everything up and start following Jesus now. He says, the moment that happens, do you know the type of celebration that takes place in heaven? He goes, at that moment, when this person, that prostitute right there, if she decides to give her life to the Lord right now, this very moment, all of heaven would go crazy. There'd be all sorts of rejoicing. He goes, and that's a lot more exciting to us than 99 of these righteous people who don't need to repent. I mean, the truth is, is there such thing as a person who doesn't need to repent and doesn't need to turn from their sin? We all do. And most see this as, as Jesus slamming those Pharisees, saying, look, you guys stand there thinking you're so righteous and you don't need to be forgiven, whereas these people recognize, look, we've blown it. And when one of them turns, this, heaven's going to go crazy right now. And they're not real thrilled with you who think you don't need to repent. You know, you know who's least likely to turn from their sins? It's the people who don't think they need to. It's the self-righteous. You know, you know the hardest thing? I, I really believe this is one of the hardest places to minister. Simi Valley, Moore Park, Thousand Oaks, Westlake, Newberry Park, Oak Park, Agora, Camarillo. Why? Because the people here in this fog, we think that we are good people. Not like them in the valley. <laughs> right? We're the good, decent people, you know, who get our families away from there and protect them, and we tell them not to fight. Don't join gangs, Billy, you know? <laughs> and so we think, I am a good person, you know? And, and it's this self righteous crowd. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You talk to your friends and you talk to them about how, hey, you're going to be judged in your life. You, they, they go, what? We're good. We're good people. 
I'm a good person. I do a lot of good deeds. And you know what? Those are the people that don't want to hear it. It's these people, the sinners that gather around and saying, look, I know I've made a mess of my life. And it's hard. It's difficult. And it's difficult trying to explain to some of you that, that walk in this room thinking, no, I'm a good person. We all think that out here. I don't know where we get it from. But if we really took a deep look into our lives and compared it to Scripture, we'd realize, I'm not good. Man, I look at the sin in my life, and it's just that we, we're in this mirage, this plastic Disneyland world where we think that we're so good. We're not. We're sick. You know, and, and, and so the, the ones that, that are most likely to listen are these people that Jesus is speaking to. And he says, man, heaven would be thrilled. But it's kind of weird. You know what's interesting to me about this passage, really stuck out, is is the thought that heaven is looking on right now. Okay? The thought that if today, if this morning, if, any, if one person, I'm not talking about a crowd of people come forward saying, yeah, we want to turn. No, if one person in this room this morning says, here's a message and goes, you know what? I've never really left everything to follow Jesus. You know, I've always loved him, but not that much to actually follow and give everything up and surrender my life. And if one person today said, you know what? I want to do that. I want to do that. And I want to walk up in front of everyone, in front of the people here and the people in heaven and the angels and the witnesses and everything else and say, look, I'm dying to my old life. I surrender my old life. I'm going to come up and start following Jesus. If just one person did that, the moment you made that decision, heaven would erupt. Isn't that a weird thought? That they're just looking, going, come on, come on. And these angels would just start rejoicing the moment you repented. The moment, some of you, you're, you're walking in the wrong direction. You've been walking away from God. And maybe at first you didn't intend to do that, but now you're, you're off somewhere. And you know who you are. You know you're going the wrong direction. That This heavenly body is just looking down, seeing if you'll turn. And the moment you turn, rejoicing. Today, I mean, it's an incredible, incredible thought. You see, it goes on in... Um, well, first let me say, this isn't the only passage that talks about this. I don't want you to think that, oh, okay, that's kind of a weird thing to read all this into here. No, we have passages like uh, Hebrews 12, you know, where it talks about, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and in context, it's talking about chapter 11, all the, you know, Abraham, you know, Moses, you know, Noah, you know, and all the martyrs, and, and, and talks about how they all, you know, they died for their faith. And he says, now, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and the word witnesses is the word onlookers, you know, that, that was a motivation to see all these people who've lived that way are now with God are looking on. And that should motivate us to live this life. And he says, since we're surrounded by them, you have passages like uh, 1 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, uh, Paul talks about how he's been, he feels like he's this gladiator in this arena where everyone's looking on as he's being beaten and tortured for the faith. But he says, you know, that I've been, been made a spectacle not just to men but to angels. Like the angels are watching him. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about how, how the angels are, are watching the church and how God is using the church to, to, to teach things to these angels. Um, Matthew 18 talks about, uh, you know, when it says, don't be a stumbling block to, a, to, to one of these little ones. He says, why? Because their angels in heaven see the face of God. He says, be careful that you don't cause someone else to stumble because there are angels in heaven that are watching and they're in the presence of God. 
Uh, Paul tells, uh, says to Timothy, he goes, I charge you in the sight of God and Jesus Christ and the holy angels. Okay, this isn't something that, that's just new here. The idea the Bible teaches, there's this cloud of witnesses. There's these angels that are watching. And when someone repents, there's a rejoicing that takes place. And, uh, and Jesus gives this other illustration. He goes, in verse 8, he goes, or suppose, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's the same story, basically. He says, you know, it's like a lady that's got ten coins. She loses one. What's she going to do? Just say, oh, well, it's lost? No. Sweep her whole house, you know, and, and those were like dirt floors, you know. Let me find this thing. And then when she finds it, there's all sorts of rejoicing. And he goes, man, that's the way it is in heaven. The angels of God, they just go crazy. They go nuts when one person, one person decides, yeah, God's worth it. I'm willing to turn from all of this stuff that I loved, but he's worth it. I'm willing to turn for, to follow him. You know, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you really care about what the angels do? <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, do you really care to make them rejoice? I, I mean, just be honest here. I mean, when's the last time you really thought about the rejoicing in heaven and pleasing the heavenly beings by the way you live your life, that them watching you and you wanting them to give them something, you wanting to give them something to cheer about. I'll be honest with you, before this week, I never really thought about that. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's not right, you know. <laughs> and I, I was sitting with my wife Monday, Monday or Tuesday night, I'm just sitting there talking to her about the passage and I'm going, you know, how do I get people to care? Because we just get so focused on our own little world, you know. And we just think that everything revolves around us. How do I get people to actually care about what goes on in heaven? I got this illustration, okay? This one's really cool. Very excited. Okay, this is, uh, I think, my favorite ever. Okay. You guys are wondering what's in here. These are uh, roly polies. Okay? This guy is eating a piece of mud. He's not really into it. Get the mud away. Hey, get off. Okay, this is what I want to do. And these two, get off her. Okay, here's a, got these roly polies. Okay, this is what I want you to do. Okay, you see that black line around the side? In a moment, I'm going to lift this ring off, okay? And I want you to pick one bug, okay? Which one you think is going to get outside the black ring first? Okay? Just look at them for a while. Just observe them. And which one do you think is going to win? Okay, everyone got one in mind? Okay. <laughs> How many think it's him that's upside down? Okay. By a round of applause, how many pick this guy? Okay, keep your eyes on him. How many pick this one? How many pick him? Oh, pressure. How many pick him? 
How many picked this guy? Okay, you guys ready? Keep your eyes on, ooh, he's on top of that one. Ready? He's gonna slow him down. I'll wait till he gets off. Uh, okay, go. Oh, oh, it's neck and neck. Oh, no, no, he's turning. <laughs> he's turning. Oh, no, oh. All right. You guys want to play again, huh? <laughs> okay, if you're good, we'll play later. Okay, but, okay, here's the whole thought. Do you think those, those roly polies had any idea what was going on? They're just kind of crawling around this, you know, transparency going, what in the world? They had no idea what just happened. They had no idea that there were a thousand people watching their every move going, oh, go, go, go. They have no clue. And in the same way, you guys, the truth is, is every day, you and I, we live our lives down on this earth, just kind of doing whatever, not realizing there's this crowd up in heaven just watching us going, go, come on, follow God. <laughs> That's our lives, though. You gotta see it, that we're not alone, okay? This isn't all about us, okay? That there's this God, and we hate that thought. We want to believe that, no, everything revolves around me. You know, I'm this huge thing in the universe. No, you're a little speck on this little planet called the Earth. The sun doesn't even revolve around us. You know, it's like we're this little speck on the earth, and yet there is so much going on. And it's not about us, it's about his glory. And to think about this, these beings in heaven watching our every move, going, go. You know, I, I had lunch with our, our high school pastor, Todd, this week, and, and I was explaining this to him. I was telling him the illustration because I was all excited about it. I go, this is what I'm going to do, you know, because this is the way I'm trying to think. And, and, and he said, he says to me, he goes, could you imagine how easy life would be if we could hear them? Up there going, boo. You know, it's like, ah, I know, I know. Okay, okay. You know, I mean, it is. It's like, what if? What if I could see what went on in the heavenly realms? My life would be different. And so then this week I thought, you know what? I'm supposed to live by faith. And so by faith, throughout the week, I've just really been mindful, just thinking, okay, I'm not alone. There are, there are beings in heaven watching my every step. It's a pretty intense thought, but it's really changed the way I've lived my life this week, knowing that I am never alone. And that it's not all about me. You know one of the passages we, a lot of quote-unquote believers hate? Job chapter 1. Okay? Job chapter 1 is one that, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me about this. Just going, come on, is that for real? Because it bugs us. It bugs us, get it? No, it, uh, <laughs> it annoys us because, you guys, it's... Uh, it really shows that, you know, our place in creation. Okay, a lot of you guys know the story of Job. It's the story of the guy that loses everything, right? You know, loses his house, loses his family, loses it all. But there's, <laughs> chapter 1 is the part that we try to just skip through because we don't like it. See, because in chapter 1, verse 6, what happens? It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. 
The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But then Satan replies, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And later on in chapter 2, um, in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, the same thing happens, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And listen, he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the very presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself as it with it as he sat among the ashes. Does that story bug you? See, for some people that just bugs them because you, you think, wait a second, so, so then Job was this man on this earth who had everything and because Satan says to God, look, he doesn't really love you. He just loves you because he has all this stuff and Satan says, why don't you take all this stuff away from him and see how much he loves you. And so God says, go ahead. We don't like that because the subject of the story is God. And it all revolves around him and his glory. So then, then Job's whole existence is just to bring glory to God, just so that God can say, look, he really loves me? Yeah. We exist for the glory of God. See, God says to Satan, have you, have you seen this guy? Have you seen this woman? She really loves me. You see that? And Satan is saying to God, God, Job doesn't really love you. Of course he loves you. You gave him a big house and all this money and all these goats and, you know, and his family's all nice and comfortable, you know, in their gated community there. You take that stuff away and you'll see how much he loves you. He'll curse you to your face. He takes all that stuff away and Job just... That's where we get that song, Blessed Be Your Name. You give and you take away. And, and he says, okay, well, well let me punish him. Let me, let me put sores all over his body. So then you have Job scraping his body and you know, all these sores with clay pots sitting there. Just His family's all dead except for his wife, which wasn't necessarily a good thing because she comes up and goes, hey, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Oh, okay, good advice, woman. You know? <laughs> Why don't you curse God and die? And what was Job's response? He goes, am I going to take good from God and not evil? You can just see God in heaven going, see? See? He loves me. Look at him. He's worshiping me. Last night, you know, before service, there was a gal in the back, this girl, Maxine. Love Maxine. She's this lady in our church who... Uh, 
She came for prayer last week, last Wednesday. We have a prayer meeting every Wednesday at 6, and she's there. Um, but Maxine, she has brain cancer. Um, but this is the third time she's had it. Remember two years ago, praying with her and her going through, you know, the, the surgery or they cut her head open, you know, and just the scalp open and just do the surgery, remove it, and then do all this radiation to it and, and just the pain she went through. And that was the second time through, and we just so rejoiced when she says, I'm cancer-free. Then a few weeks ago, came back and said, you know, they found something there again. And um, we prayed for her. On Tuesday, she went in for surgery, brain surgery, for the third time. And then now she's going to have to follow it up with 52 treatments of radiation. Brain surgery on Tuesday night, but where was she Saturday night? She's back in the house of God, worshiping God. And I just picture God in heaven going, see? Look at her. You tell me there aren't people on the earth that love me? Brain cancer for the third time, and she's in church worshiping me with all of her heart. You know, it's, it's not about us. If we really believe that, we wouldn't go around asking so many questions like, well, why did this happen to me? And we just realize no matter what happens to me, I've got to use it for God's glory. Because I want God to say, have you considered Francis? Come on, look at you. all you beings gather around. Look at Francis. Look, I'll have some hard things go on in his life and watch. He'll still worship me. He'll still serve me. You know, it was awesome, you know, when I saw Bob that day, you know, just had heart surgery a few days before, open heart, and comes back to church worshiping that day. You know, some of you that I, I just look around in the room and some of the hard times we've been through together in your life and the losses of, of family and friends, and yet you came right back and you worshiped and you showed, look, no, I believe this thing. And I tell you, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're looking on and saying, look, he really believes. And God will put temptations in your life, allow temptations. Satan will throw these temptations in your life to see if you'll pull away, to see if you really love God. Like Job, is it just because you have everything that you'll worship him, or do you love him even when it's difficult? You know, in this passage, he talks about the cheering in heaven the rejoicing. And why does it take place? It takes place when the lost repent. And I don't know about you, but I, I really want to live my life in such a way that it causes a lot of rejoicing in heaven. You know, as they're looking on, it's like, oh, there's Francis talking to another guy, talking to another girl. He's not scared. He's not ashamed of his belief in you. Are the angels rejoicing over your life as they watch as you walk away from temptation? Or are the demons rejoicing, going, ha, oh, see, look, she left him, didn't she? Look, he, you know, he's, he's with an unbeliever now. Look, look at this, look at that. You know, are, who's, who's rejoicing over your life, really, when you think about it? Are you isolated in your own little world, separated from all the lost people, and the demons are going, look, he's not going to do anything in his life? Or are you going out and making a difference and making some noise? You know, this week is one of the greatest opportunities of your life for evangelism. With the Mel Gibson movie coming out, and people having to deal with the cross of Jesus Christ. And what was that all about? Why did this guy die? And that's why we rented out the theater the next couple of days out there in Moore Park, you know, and got these tickets cheap so you could invite friends. 
and, and just talk to him afterwards. Why else did he go through all of that? For a lie? For a hoax? You know, why did these people give their lives for this thing? And people will have to deal with the cross and give an answer to who Jesus was. Or are you going to use that as an opportunity? But as we worship today, I, I, just, I just believe there's got to be some of you today who you've never made the decision to totally follow God. And I just think it'd be so awesome if one person, you know, I think about the services so far, how every service, there's been people that just gave their lives to the Lord this weekend and just the rejoicing in heaven. But how about here at 1130 service as the angels are looking on, waiting for you to give your life to the Lord? And it'd be awesome for you to come forward today during worship to get baptized and to say, I'm ready to follow. Or some of you that have wandered away from God and you've gotten trapped in some sin, that maybe today's the day where you come up and pray with someone and say, you know what, I've been walking away from the Lord. It's time to come back. Because it's not all about you. The angels in heaven are watching. What are you going to do? For the rest of us as we worship, would you be mindful of what's going on in the heavenly realms right now? I mean, I know that there's hundreds, thousands of churches all across America that are, are singing to God. But wouldn't it be incredible if the angelic beings all said, no, 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 hey, everybody get over here. Look at what's going on in Simi Valley. Look at Cornerstone. Look at these guys worshiping God as they're worshiping God. As you worship, be mindful of the other beings worshiping with you. And let's just give our praise to the Lord right now.